This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our purpose is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my aim, as always, is education. Hey, everybody. Are you always talking crime? If you just said yes, well, you are in luck. My name is Kimmy, and I am the host of the Always Talking Crime podcast. It's available on all the platforms everywhere, and each Sunday, I'm going to bring you a new episode. We'll talk about serial killers, spree killers, those black widows, and everything else true crime. Can't wait for you to join me. Hello, class. That was my friend Kimmy, who hosts Always Talking Crime. She's really funny and entertaining to listen to. She's on Sunday nights. So give her podcast a try. I think you'll like it. Now, before we start this case, I'm going to tell you how we're going to go about it, like a lesson plan, if you will. Huge trigger warning. This case is extremely sad and depressing. We are going to discuss a mass murder with six people dead and numerous people injured. And you know I don't spare details. So what I want to do is paint a picture for everybody of what exactly happened so that we can visualize it, realize the horror of this event, appreciate the awful, shitty acts this person committed, and understand what all the victims went through. This first episode is all about them. So get out your box of Kleenexes. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the parade. In case you haven't figured out, you didn't read the title or the show notes, we are talking about the, I guess you could call it massacre, at the Waukesha, Wisconsin Christmas Parade of last year, 2021, when some giant turd named Daryl Brooks drove his SUV down the street with a parade and literally mowed people down. So in case you haven't heard it on the news or anywhere else, you're not familiar, this is what we're going to talk about. So tonight I'm going to talk about the victims, and we have numerous victims. The whole city was a victim here. I want you to meet all of these wonderful victims so that we can keep them in our minds when I tell you what happened to them, and you can appreciate the monstrosity of this mass murder and what this dude did. And then next week, we're going to meet the killer, Daryl Brooks, piece of shit that he is, go over his background, history. I have quite a bit of interrogation footage for you, and we'll go over that. I have some notes I want to talk about when we listen to his interrogation. There's a lot of interesting things to point out. Just by the way he talks to the police and FBI, you can learn a lot about his behavior and his personality. So I'll go over that with you. And if I do my job right, when we're done, you'll hate him as much as I do. So my aim is twofold. That I want you to hate him as much as I do, which is really, really a lot. This is maybe a little bit rotten of me. 
I want you to feel the pain of the victims in the city because I tortured myself while I researched this case and I want to pass it along to you. But that's why you're here, right? And I do want to get into his trial and his antics. And the, word, the reason I use the word antics is he represented himself in his trial. And he was the most obnoxious, arrogant, rude, irritating, annoying person I have ever seen in a courtroom, either on TV or in my own career. So I'm going to have some trial clips of his behavior if we weren't talking about a mass murder where so many people were hurt or killed, it will be absolutely comical because he's just, I, I, I have no words, but you'll hear him. If you're interested, all you have to do is get on YouTube, put in Daryl Brooks or Waukesha Christmas Parade, and there's about a million videos of his behavior in the courtroom. And of course, we're going to talk about psychology. So... There are going to be two or three episodes. I'm not sure yet. You know, I like to set the scene first, and we're going to Wisconsin again. We've already been there twice for Chandler Halderson and Lisa French, and this is where, of course, Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein come from. So I want to know what the fuck is going on there in Wisconsin. What are you doing over there? Eating too much cheese or something? I'm just kidding. I love cheese. And that will be my last attempt at humor to lighten the mood because it's going to get really dark and depressing here. I wish I had video so that you can actually see this stuff, the videos of the parade, the victims. It's obviously much more effective if you can see this happening. But I do have a lot of pictures of the victims on my Instagram Please look at them and appreciate how beautiful these people were, are. So this is classified as a mass murder, and it took place in the town of Waukesha, Wisconsin. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it may be because another famous crime happened there. They call this the Slender Man Stabbing, where two 12-year-old girls stabbed another 12-year-old girl. Fortunately, she lived and she's okay today. But Waukesha is part of the Milwaukee metropolitan area. It's 15 miles west of Milwaukee on the shores of the Fox River. It's the seventh largest city in Wisconsin, and it was first settled by Europeans in 1834. The name Waukesha is thought to be an anglicization of the Ojibwe word for the plural of fox. So we got Fox River. The town is named after foxes. I don't know if there were a lot of foxes indigenous to the area. I'm guessing, yeah, that would just kind of be common sense. But the town has an award-winning park system, over 50 parks, and a thriving historical downtown. Overall, I would say a nice place to live. The day that we're going to talk about is Sunday, November 21st, 2021, last year. Let's just take a second to appreciate the fact that this case went to trial and the offender was convicted in less than a year, which is pretty damn good. You got to admit, it hasn't even been a year yet. The event was the 58th annual Christmas parade 
which has always been on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It's sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce. They didn't have the parade in 2020 because of the COVID pandemic. So people were probably really excited about this one, you know, itching to get out there and have their parade again. The theme last year was comfort and joy, and there were over 60 entries. The parade started at 4 p.m. Central Time. The parade route was one mile long. And in my Instagram, I have some diagrams and maps. You can see exactly where the parade went and where the SUV drove, which was pretty much along the same road. But people started gathering. There were hundreds of people lining the streets. And remember, this is Wisconsin, and it's November. So it was a cold, windy day. They were all bundled up in their coats, and they've got their lawn chairs and babies and strollers and people of all ages all excited to see their annual Christmas parade. They had numerous, this is important, numerous police officers in fluorescent yellow, like, you can't miss this, vests at the intersections directing traffic. And they had a couple intersections like blocked off with these plastic barrier type things to divert traffic around the parade route. Mayor Sean Riley described the parade as a, quote, Norman Rockwell type of event that became a nightmare, end quote. Now, that day, the football team, the Green Bay Packers, were playing. This will come up later. I'm not just telling you a random football fact. I don't even care about football. And the game started at 1, went till 4 o'clock. So just as the parade was starting, the Packers game was ending. And that day, they lost to the Vikings, who... I think are like, because they're in Minnesota and they're real close, that they're like rivals. So the staging area for the parade was on White Rock Avenue. Staging area is, I've been in a lots, of, lots of parades as a firefighter. It's where you get together with all the parades I was in. I was on a fire truck. But these ones, and I'll tell you every type of entrant that was in the parade. It was mainly like bands and people with pom-poms dancing, whatever you call those dance groups. So they would get together and somebody would be like, okay, you're first, you're second, you're third, blah, blah, blah. And they get in, get in line. So the parade started at Main Street and White Rock, then down West Avenue, then down Wisconsin Avenue, then down North Grand, then East Park Avenue, and it was supposed to end in Cutler Park. Lots of people had phones, of course, and they're, they're filming and taking pictures of the parade. And there's lots of footage on social media of the parade. And a lot of people, of course, captured the, I guess you would maybe call it the soundtrack of the disaster or the massacre. And I do have some I will play for you because I want us to feel like we're there so that we can appreciate this event. Also, the city had a camera on the Historical Society building, and they were actually live streaming it on their Facebook site. And if you were watching this live feed, which started at four o'clock, here is exactly what you saw and heard. The first thing you heard was everybody's favorite Christmas song, 
by Mariah Carey. Yeah, I'm trying to be funny. I don't even know what the song's called, but I think you know what it is. Then comes a bunch of classic cars, really old cars, and they're beeping their horns and they're going like, ooga, ooga. Then there's a band. They're playing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Then there's a float. Then there's a clown on one of those big, I think you call it a unicycle. Then there's a group of girls with pom-poms. Then come a group of costume people walking. Then we have another group of girls with pom-poms. Then there's a big snowman on a truck. So now you hear Jingle Bell Rock, and there's three little girls carrying a banner that says Milwaukee Dancing Grannies. This group is going to be really important because, sadly, three of them are going to die. They have on white hats, long blue coats, white boots. They look really cool. Oh, and they have white pom-poms. And you can hear somebody yell out, the grannies. Then you have another group of girls with pom-poms. They have on black outfits and white pom-poms. This is called the extreme dance team. And they have everything from little girls to teenage girls. Again, note this group, extreme dance team. The next group is the Waukesha Blazers which is a baseball team for, I don't know if it's Little League, but it's little kids. And it's a truck followed by the players wearing their jerseys and walking behind the truck. Then there's a big float with the Grinch on it. Then you hear a band. I thought they were really good. They were playing drums and they were playing sleigh bells. Then you see a truck that says Remax on it, in case you don't know or you're not from the United States, that's a realtor company, and they have like a something that's supposed to be like a hot air balloon, like a float type thing. Then we have more pom-pom dancers. Then we have more of a Mariah Carey. Then a float goes by with a cake, giant cake, and some costume thing waving. Then we have a baton twirler who has not just one, but two batons. Really good. Then there's a band playing Jingle Bells. So it's exactly 20 minutes and 41 seconds into the parade. You see a red SUV come into the frame. And it's going faster than everybody else because everybody else is marching. They're going pretty slow. Well, the official estimate, because there were police and somebody had a radar gun, was that it was going between 35 and 40 miles an hour. At this point, it passes on the side of the road between the people in the parade and the sidewalk. So it hasn't hit anybody yet. Then you see the parade slow down and you hear sirens. Then you see some more dancers and they're playing We Need a Little Christmas. Now you see more police cars going by with sirens. The parade is still going. 25 minutes into the parade, the parade has stopped. There's no more people. And all you can hear is police and ambulance sirens everywhere. A bunch of people are walking down the street to where the sirens are coming from to see what's going on. And the closer you get to the other end of the street, you can tell that something really wrong is happening. You hear people screaming, shrieking, crying. And a couple people managed to catch this on their phones. And this is what it sounded like. 
Now I want to play something very important, but it's kind of long and it's kind of hard to hear. But I will go over everything with you, all the major points. This is from the live police band radio from that time. And it's going to start at about this commentary that I have is going to start around 4.39 that afternoon. The first thing you're going to hear is one of the officers alert dispatch that a red SUV has entered the parade route. Then you're going to hear pretty much pandemonium. You're going to hear the 10 code, if, if you know what that means, you know, like 10-4, 10-8, whatever, the codes that the police, ambulance, and fire use. You're going to hear them say 10-52 a lot. That is the code for ambulance needed. And you're going to catch a couple times where they say 1058 or 1059. That means either assistance needed or notify coroner. Maroon Ford escapes his blue white rocket heart while heading into the parade road. There's a car going westbound, pushing the parade road on a red on the escape black nail. I couldn't stop it. He's going westbound, horn is horn. We just walked on the main street and Harwell at 39. Yeah, 1052 main and virus cell. Somebody got hit. I need 1082 up in 20. What's going on? You have somebody hit at main and virus cell? 22, I'm out at main and virus cell. I'm 22, I copy out at main and virus cell. Give me an update, please. 854, I need another 1052. Gaspar and main. Gaspar and main. You need a 1052. I copy 854. 122, found their car. Sped through westbound. Uh, main by subway. Broadway and Clinton immediately. Go ahead. 
Clinton, I've been happy. We will send the county command post there. 212 will have command for casualty collection points. Moving a for Mary on that subject. Marsh found his ID in the car. He is suspended. Looks like he's at at least 199 on the system. Copy. That's who he's identifying software. Lighter skin, black males, red locks, red shoes. Okay, Firm. Two of the question points for Donnie Boyce, two blacks are both eight. Uh, yellow and the red have gone to the collection point and have had two blacks remain. Commander dispatch. Commander, go ahead. Abby, 54 in town of Washington. Keep taking. Looks likely in the car. We're in front of 553 Elizabeth complaining of shoulder pain. Abby, we have no ambulances at this time. Yeah, that doesn't look immediate. Abby, if I get a member of CID down here to start working with him. I'll take at least one more here. I had three officers from unknown departments detain them initially before I got here. I'm going to have to start grabbing a little bit of info. 609, just for your own 43 or anybody else who's listening, the suspect pulled his vehicle into 338 of Maple Avenue. He then ran down from there. And that's how they got out or went out with him in front of 553 Elizabeth Street and went 1026 with him. It's unknown where the other two male black subjects were that were in the vehicle. Now, I want to go over a few things from that. Heard them mention a collection point a few times. And this was where they were gathering the hurt people and having the ambulances pick them up. And you also heard colors mentioned, yellow, red, and black. In a mass casualty incident, that's Something like this, where there's numerous people hurt, when you do triage, meaning sorting the victims as to the level of their injury, if there's a lot of patients, you use colors to symbolize their level of injury. Like yellow is hurt pretty bad, red is hurt really bad, and black is dead. The idea, of course, is to determine who needs help the most, which would be the red in this case, and transport them to the hospitals first. And at the end of that radio piece there, you hear them discussing a possible suspect. And you can hear that they've set up a staging area or like a command post where they're concentrating their efforts on the search for the suspect. And you also hear an officer mention that he fired three shots into the SUV This was at the end of the parade route, and he said he hit the windshield. Whenever you find the SUV, it's going to have a gunshot. He said GSW, which means gunshot wound, but it's basically going to be a hole from a gunshot in its windshield, which it did, and I I will show you pictures of that. Then you hear somebody say, quote, light-skinned black male, dreadlocks, no shoes, end quote. And that is, of course, what Daryl Brooks looked like that night. And you all hear, also hear them say he's on the 500 block of, of Elizabeth Street knocking on doors. And that's exactly what he was doing. We'll talk about that next episode. But they found and arrested him within half an hour after he was done uh, driving through the parade. And that is awesome police work. Now, we're going to go over the events of the parade from the police point of view. Remember, they were all over the area of the parade directing traffic. So 
around 4.37 p.m., some mention comes over the police radio about an incident in Frame Park, which is a few blocks from the parade. There's a report of a knife fight or a fight, two people fighting. We'll later find out that this was Daryl Brooks fighting with his Sometimes you hear girlfriend, sometimes you hear ex-girlfriend, sometimes you hear baby mama. But anyway, it's her. And I actually think that this was the impetus for this, um, for his behavior, for what he did. But we'll discuss that later. Then an officer says, no, the fight is actually near the Rotary Building. This information I got from the criminal complaint. So Detective Casey is working traffic control at White Rock and East Main. So at about 4.35, according to the criminal complaint, he hears on the radio that a citizen reported two people fighting near White Rock School, and squads are sent to that area. A few minutes later, Detective Casey hears a horn, and he looks and he sees people spreading apart, and he saw a red Ford Escape driving southbound on White Rock Avenue. And he's the one that you hear screaming on the radio. So at White Rock and Maine, Detective Casey steps in front of the SUV. He pounds on the hood and he yells, stop, stop the vehicle multiple times. And you can clearly see he's a police officer. He has his uniform on, the neon yellow vest. But there's no way to mistake who he is and what his purpose is. But whoever's driving the SUV does not pay any attention to him. He turns west onto East Main Street where the parade is. He actually brushes Detective Casey. That's how close he comes to him. So Casey's pounding on the driver's side door and still yelling, stop, stop. And he said that the driver looked right at him and he said, quote, it appeared he had no emotion on his face, end quote. So then the SUV drives right into the parade and you see Casey running behind it. So at some point, the SUV speeds up. Casey asks for more squads. A few seconds later, he hears the sound of the SUV hitting people. And he's still going. He's going west on East Main Street. And he noted that he struck a number of pedestrians, both people that are in the parade and spectators. At East Main and Northwest Barstow, the SUV puts on its brakes. And Casey said he thought he was going to stop, but then it, it, it speeded up again. The tires were squealing. And he said he made an abrupt left turn right into the parade. And he says, quote, at this point, it was clear to Officer Butrin that this was an intentional act to strike and hurt as many people as possible, end quote. The police noticed that there were three dead people in the road. Three of them, we'll talk about these people later, who they are. Three died like immediately, like probably on impact. Two would later die at the hospital, and one, which is the little boy, died in the hospital two days later. An officer, Butrin, was assisting with crowd control on East Main and Northeast Avenue when he heard on the radio that an SUV 
was coming his way through the parade route. So he goes into the parade route to try to stop this SUV. He stood right in front of it, tells it to stop, and the SUV drove right past him, blew through these plastic barriers, and then is that's when Officer Shotton appears, and he's the one who shot three rounds into the SUV. And the SUV then went down Wisconsin Avenue. Now, from the point of view of people in the parade or people watching the parade, here's what they experienced. This is a quote from a witness named Lindsay, who was watching the parade with her two kids who were seven and nine. She said, quote, the SUV blazed by where we were sitting and we heard a crash and people screaming. I grabbed the kids and took off. People were helping escort others to safety, end quote. And she said her kids never want to see another parade, which can you blame them? Another witness said, quote, it looked like dummies being thrown in the air. It took a second to register, like, is that what we really just saw? And then you looked in the road and there were just people laying in the road, end quote. And a dad whose daughter was on one of the dance teams said, quote, there were pom-poms and shoes and spilled hot chocolate everywhere. I had to go from one crumpled body to the other to find my daughter, end quote. And another witness told the police, quote, as I continued to watch the SUV, it continued to drive in a zigzag motion. It was like the SUV was trying to avoid vehicles, not people. There was no attempt made by the vehicle to stop, much less slow down, end quote. And former Waukesha County prosecutor Tom Grieve said, quote, the fact that he didn't step on the brakes, that was intentional. The fact that his foot was on the gas, that was intentional. He could have stopped. He's the only person who could put his foot on the brake pedal, and he didn't, end quote. Now, this guy here, he was watching the parade, and you're going to hear him talking to a news reporter. Yeah, we were in front of all of Chocolate. We were uh, just watching the parade. Uh, we had my sister-in-law's in it. We knew a lot of people, um, mainly there to see my daughter, who was in the South Band, and we're standing there when he turned off a bar so under the street and we were the first person that or the first group of people that he hit was right in front of us and people were just in shock and screaming and in terror as he just drove down the street with no no intent to stop you saw him hit your daughter's band or? yeah yeah he drove right through the band he hit there were like eight people um that got hit in the band kill anybody in our group i'm a combat veteran so i instantly wanted to stop the guy because i could tell he had evil intent because he was not trying to stop he had he could have stopped when he rounded the the the, the truck behind the band but but he chose not to now i looked at several different maps of the parade route and i counted and I'm not real good with numbers, but it was pretty clear to me that there were nine separate streets at which point he could have turned off the parade route, but didn't. Now, this dude here, he's testifying in court, and he was driving one of the trucks in the parade. You're going to hear him describe what he experienced. I watched the body fly up onto the hood and her head snapped back. 
and the body remained on the hood as it passed the side of my vehicle to where I thought I could have just reached out and grabbed her. So this happened that close to you? Yes. You saw all this with your own two eyes? Yes. Did the car continue past you? Yes. Where did it go? The car veered kind of in front of me. I saw brake lights and saw what it, what was Jane fall off the hood. And she was on basically on the on the right side of his vehicle. And he proceeded to run her over with the right front tire and the right rear tire. My my gut feeling in that was that she had passed. You mean when you went up and saw her? Yes. You, you felt she was either dead or close to death? Yes. So this poor dude, he's driving along in his truck, and he sees a body come flying up on his windshield, and he mentions that her name was Jane. So I'm going to tell you about her. This was Jane Kulik, who was 52. She was born on January 6th of 1969. She had three kids and three grandkids. Her husband's name is John. She worked as a teller at Citizens Bank. And that day, she was walking with the Citizens Bank float. She also had worked as a caregiver in at a dry cleaners and at a restaurant. She was from Milwaukee. Her daughter, Taylor, told the media that her mom had her organs donated. And she said, quote, that's my mom, giving still, even when there's nothing left to give. I'm so proud of her. My mom was always helping people. I'm honored to be the daughter of someone who brought so much to everyone's lives. Even in this darkness, she still shines some light for us. She loved her family so much. She was dedicated, motivated, and comforting. My mom was just such a wonderful human that positively impacted everyone she met. End quote. Somebody described her as a goofball who loved to have weekly family game nights, which sounds like a lot of fun. Her niece said, quote, My Aunt Jane was one of those people that could be described as an angel on earth. She was one of those people that you could tell anything to and not fear to be judged. Family was always first. The whole family feels robbed, end quote. In her obituary online, there's some comments from people who knew her. And they described her as a great person to work with. She always had a smile on her face. And people shared fun memories of Jane, like being out on a lake in a boat with her, her dancing with her husband, and singing karaoke with her. So she just sounds like an all-around fun person to be with. Now, this is a clip from the news. And you also hear a little bit about a couple people in court describing what happened at the parade. So I'm going to play this for you, and then I'll talk about the people, the victims that those people are talking about. Jeff Rogers, president of the Waukesha Blazers Baseball Club, described what he saw after prosecutors say Brooks drove his SUV through the club. Jackson was motionless on the ground, eyes open, didn't appear to be aware. Did he appear to be alive? was unsure. Eight-year-old Jackson Sparks was the youngest person killed in the parade attack. Did you see, the state um, points out not once did Brooks stop the SUV, drawing this reaction from a coach with the extreme dance team who watched a video which we aren't showing as 15 people in her group were hit. 
Here's what Alyssa Gajewski testified she did when she saw one of her dancers lying in the street. I picked her up as soon as her body was right in front of me. I just picked her up because I didn't know what was about to happen. Now, the guy you heard talking was talking about eight-year-old Jackson Sparks, who was the youngest victim. Actually, both Jackson and his big brother, Tucker, who was 12, were hurt in the parade. They were members of the Waukesha Blazers baseball team. So they were marching in the parade. Remember earlier, I was describing all the entries and vehicles that went past. And I said, the baseball team, they had the truck and then they had the players in their jerseys walking behind the truck. You can see a picture of, well, there's two. There's one of both Jackson and Tucker. They look exactly alike, like a big version and a little version. Then you see a picture of Jackson in his jersey that's taken one hour before the parade started. And it's absolutely chilling to look at this picture. And there's this little excited, happy boy. He's smiling. He's all excited. He's going to be in a parade in his baseball uniform. And to know that in less than an hour, he's going to, well, he's going to be fatally injured. He will actually die two days later. Tucker had a skull fracture. He was in the hospital for a while. Jackson's injuries were more serious. He had traumatic head injuries. He had to have a couple brain surgeries, and he died two days after the parade on November 23rd. Their family had a GoFundMe page, and they said on it on Tuesday, quote, This afternoon, our dear Jackson has sadly succumbed to his injuries and passed away, end quote. Jackson was born on April 2nd, 2013. He was in third grade in the Clarendon Avenue Elementary School. He was a member of the Life Point Church. He was supposedly shy till you got to know him. He loved baseball. The Yankees were his favorite team. He also loved the Hulk, Jurassic Park, and LeBron James, who I think, I should have looked this up, I think he's a basketball player. He was also an organ donor, and five people benefited from his organs. His team, the Waukesha Blazers, had a GoFundMe, and they raised money for families with medical expenses counseling, a scholarship fund, player sponsorship, and Parade Victim Memorial, which I'll talk about more at the end. They raised $187,000, which is just incredible. Jackson's mom, Sherry, said, quote, I miss his laugh. I miss a lot about that little boy. And his dad, Aaron, said, quote, he was an amazing little kid, and we're going to miss him a lot. He loved life. He loved playing sports. He loved catching frogs. He loved being outside. He was a little ball of energy. We'll meet him again in heaven. He got there first, and he'll show us around when we get there. He'll be our tour guide, but we'll see him again, end quote. His coach, baseball coach, said he was a sweet, talented boy who was a joy to coach, and the president of the baseball club, described him as tender-hearted with a contagious smell. He was the little guy on the team that everyone supported. You couldn't help but love him. At his funeral on December 2nd, there were hundreds of people, and all of the kids were encouraged to wear baseball jerseys. The second person you hear talking is Alyssa Gajewski. She was, I don't know if you call it the coach 
or the manager, maybe instructor of the extreme dance team. And I remember I mentioned them earlier. They were the girls who were wearing black outfits and they had white pom-poms. Well, a number of them were injured. So let me tell you a little bit about them. Now, this is the Waukesha Extreme Dance Team, and their purpose is to provide kids from 2 to 8th grade for an opportunity to dance and prepare for high school dance teams. They're divided into many elite and junior groups based on age. And after the parade, the group issued this statement, quote, Sunday was a traumatic nightmare for the children, their families, and our entire community. Our dancers have a multitude of serious physical injuries. Of those, five dancers are currently in the ICU, end quote. So two of the dancers who were seriously injured, adorable little girls who I have pictures of, was 11-year-old Jessalyn or Jessa Torres. She was a junior dancer. Her mother, Amber, said, quote, No mother should ever go through this. This is a very traumatic ordeal. The hardest part was not being with everyone, and Jessa, in the condition she is, was not able to be with her family either, end quote. She was in the ICU with several internal injuries. At one point, she was unconscious and on a ventilator. She suffered a broken pelvis and femur, which hurts just saying that, skull fracture, lacerated lungs, and an injury to her kidney. The collision caused her kidney to tear from the renal artery, which, like I said, just saying those words makes me hurt. Another victim of this group was a mini dancer, and this was eight-year-old Olivia Stover, who loves her dog, family, and dancing. She suffered two brain bleeds and a broken ankle, and she was in the hospital for 12 days. Her mother, Jennifer, said, quote, I started screaming for her, and I was running in circles because I couldn't find her. She was unconscious, end quote. I guess it's fortunate that Olivia doesn't remember much about that day. Her memory seems to end at getting ready for the parade. And when she left the hospital, she said, quote, I feel good, really good, great, end quote. Another group that was hurt, and you probably heard me mention this group earlier, was the Waukesha South High School Blackshirt Band. And I have information on four of these band members. Justin, who was 17, suffered from a sprained neck, ankle, bruised back, and ligament damage. Aiden, who was a senior, had fractured ribs, bruising, and stitches. Tyler, who was 17, was in the ICU. He had to have two surgeries. He had major injury to his intestines, and he had 39 staples in his abdomen. Eric, who was a junior, had to have surgery for a broken femur, and that's, from what I hear, one of the most painful bones to break. That's your, in case you don't know, that's your long leg bone. A skull fracture, broken ribs, fractured C4 vertebrae, that's his neck, in a bruised and collapsed lung. He was also in the ICU. Tyler would later say, quote, there was really no warning. It was kind of just out of the blue. Everybody was mainly in shock, end quote. And I did mention the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies. They're a choreographed dance pom-pom parade group. 
Their statement that they issued was, quote, Our group was doing what they loved, performing in front of crowds in a parade, putting smiles on faces of all ages, filling them with joy and happiness, end quote. On their Facebook page, an hour before the parade, they said, Waukesha, here we come, three exclamation points. The grannies are kicking off their holiday parades. They were started in 1984 in an exercise class. And I'm picturing an exercise class in 1984 in which everybody looks like Jane Fonda in the uh, really bright colored leotards and leg warmers. The only requirement for them is you have to be a grandmother. They do about 25 parades a year. They've won many trophies and they practice weekly. The participants are in their early 50s to their mid-70s. Between them, they have 100 grandkids and a few great-grandkids. The banner, which of course is at the front of them, it says Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, is usually carried by grandchildren of them. And as I mentioned, sadly, three of them were killed. One of these was Tamara or Tammy Durand, who was 52. She was the mother of three and grandmother of one. She was actually a chaplain for the Zilber Family Hospice and the Waukesha Memorial Hospital. Her husband, Dave, said, quote, She basically danced her way through life. She was totally energetic and was her happiest when she was dancing, end quote. He had been married to Tammy for eight years, and not surprisingly, she was a high school and college cheerleader. She was an elementary school teacher at Beaver Dam Elementary School for 17 years, and it said that she would eat Twinkies in the morning, then run for six miles. She also ran in marathons. She had master's degrees in education and theology, and she wanted to get her doctorate degree in theology. She loved to travel, especially to Florida. And the heartbreaking thing about her is this was to be, well, this, this was her first parade. She was so excited about it. She put a picture of her on her Facebook looking cute in her blue outfit. And it, the quote was so excited. And you got to see a picture of her. She looks like Farrah Fawcett. When I saw, when I first saw her pictures, I'm like, that's not a granny. That's a movie star. But that's, uh, that was Tammy. Another of the grannies was Leanna Owen, or also called Lee, who was 71. She was born on October 13th, 1950. She managed an apartment complex and the tenants and management loved her. She had two sons and three grandkids. The owner of the building she managed said, quote, she didn't have a mean bone in her body. She was the nicest lady, end quote. She was born in Moline, Illinois, and she had had many jobs in her life, most recently as an apartment manager. Her son, Chris, said, quote, she was kind, loving, and lit up every room she was in. He was at the parade, watching her and his daughter, who was in one of the dance groups. He said, quote, we saw a car go speeding around the corner, but we had no idea what was actually happening. The longer we didn't hear from her, we figured she had been hit, end quote. She was a dancing granny for 12 years and never missed a practice. She loved animals. She rescued a lot of animals, including Oscar, her bulldog, which is so cool. She was a, a bully mom. And she also had three cats. 
And the final granny that was lost that day was Virginia Ginny Sorensen. She was 79, born September 15, 1942. She was the longtime choreographer of the group. Her husband, David, who she was married to for 56 years, said she loved working with the grannies. Quote, she liked the instructing. She liked the dancing and the camaraderie of the women she liked to perform. End quote. She met her husband at a church gathering by teaching him the can-can dance. She had three kids and six grandkids. She was a registered nurse, and she worked up until the time she died. She had horses, dogs, cats, and chickens. Her granddaughter, Gabrielle, said, quote, My grandmother taught me everything I needed to know in life. So happy and proud to be following in her footsteps as a nurse, End quote. In her obituary, it said, Family was everything to Ginny, and Ginny was everything to her family. She sparkled her way through life, sharing God's love with all she met. As she would say, may angels watch over you. Sadly, she was supposed to ride in the parade instead of walk, but she was actually holding onto the banner like grandkids would have normally done. Supposedly, they were shorthanded that day. And she is quoted as saying of being in the Dancing Grannies, quote, I love it. I love the ladies. They're my family, end quote. The oldest prayed victim or victim to be deceased was sadly the one I least I know the least about. His name was Wilhelm or Bill Hospel. He was 81. He was born on April 23rd, 1940. He actually came from Germany, came to the United States as a teenager. He loved the outdoors, hunting, riding his ATV and pickleball, which I have no idea what that is. His wife, Lola, was a dancing granny. They'd been married for 61 years, and what he did was help them with their performances. I don't know if he drove a truck or maybe managed equipment, or he had some kind of supporting role with them is, is how he ended up being in the parade. They had two kids and two grandkids. He was retired, but did repair work. And his brother, Theodore, said, quote, he was so healthy. He was a strong person and even would help me out a lot of times because he was so strong. I cannot believe it, unquote. The aftermath of this tragedy, as you can imagine, is still impacting the community. The United for Waukesha Community Fund raised over $6.2 million. People donated from all 50 states in 18 countries. This money went to the families of those killed, 29 people who were hospitalized, 37 people who were outpatients, and 495 who were at the parade, just as spectators. Several of these people have gone back to the hospital and sadly had complications from their injuries. On November 22nd, there were vigils held across the city. The schools were closed Monday and Tuesday, and children's Hospital, Wisconsin, had a hotline for people who needed emotional or psychological support. First Lady Jill Biden met with the victims' families on December 15th, and the GoFundMes that the families had netted over $900,000. This year, the parade will be on again on December 4th. It's the 59th annual Christmas parade, and its theme is Peace on Earth. They have changed the parade route 
and they have new portable barriers, which they paid $800,000 for. They're supposedly strong enough to stop a box truck. I put in my Instagram, it's a um, kind of like a drawing or a plan of a memorial that they plan to build. So if you're interested in donating to the construction of that memorial, I have that address in my show notes. It looks like it's going to be really nice. I want to give a shout out to all the first responders, police, fire, ambulance personnel. I'm just imagining as an EMT responding to that scene. And I can guarantee that many of the first responders had to have counseling, maybe have PTSD. Some of them maybe even quit their jobs, especially if they were volunteers. They may have said, fuck this, I can't deal with this, because that would have been horrific to deal with. So I want us to think about all these people and also that they managed to track down and arrest the perpetrator within half an hour after this happened. This episode is dedicated to Jackson, Bill, Tammy, Jenny, Leanna, and Jane. And next week, we're going to talk about the arrest of Daryl Brooks. I'm going to play you some of his interrogation, and we might get into his criminal history. So this week was about the victims. Next week, we're going to talk about him. But unfortunately, that's why we're here. We have to learn about, hopefully, solve the problem or the question of what made him do this. And is there any way this could have been prevented? Frustratingly, the answer is yes, in many ways. So you're going to be disgusted and frustrated and mad when you hear him and hear his mouth and his bullshit and all of the, I guess, ways in which he slipped through the cracks in the justice system. So I can't promise this is a really big chore, this case. And I can't promise it's going to be out next Thursday, but it it definitely will be out next week sometime. Okay, class dismissed.